Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, and it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is season four, episode seven, and we're so excited for you to join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 1977 Italian supernatural horror film, Suspiria. It was directed by Dario Argento and co-written by Argento and Daria Nicolodi. It stars Jessica Harper, Stefania Cassini, Alida Valli, and Joan Bennett. We're not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause the show and watch it first. There's also a new movie coming out in a few days, so we also suggest that you see the original before you see the remake. Still here? Okay, then let's get this morning started. So the story of Suspiria is partially based on Lavana and Our Ladies of Sorrow from Thomas de Quincey's 1845 collection of short essays called Suspiria de Profundis, or Sighs from the Depths. The essay about Lavana begins with a discussion of Lavana, who is the ancient Roman goddess of childbirth, while de Quincey imagines three companions for her. Our Lady of Tears, Our Lady of Sighs, and Our Lady of Darkness. The title Suspiria and the general concept of the Three Mothers is a concept that Argento would expand on in his films Inferno and Mother of Tears. Argento said that another idea for the film came to him after a trip through several European cities when he became fascinated by the Magic Triangle a point where the countries of France, Germany, and Switzerland meet. This is where Rudolf Steiner, who was a controversial social reformer and occultist, founded an anthroposophic community. Wow. Wow, that's a mouthful. Sure is. Daria Nicolodi helped Argento write the screenplay for the film, which combined the occult themes that interested Argento with fairy tales and dreams that were inspiring to Nicolodi. Initially, the characters in the film were supposed to be very young girls, around the age 8 or 10 years old, but this was altered when the film's producers were hesitant to make a film with all young actors. And we'll talk more about like the fairy tale aspects of it soon. Oh, yeah. The majority of Suspiria was shot at Di Paoli Studios in Rome, where the key exterior sets, including the facade of the academy, were constructed. And what's really interesting is that the facade of the Academy is actually like a replica of the real life whale house in Friedberg, Germany. Whoa. So cinematographer Luciano Tovalli was hired by Argento to shoot the film based on color film tests he completed with Argento that he felt matched his vision. The film was shot using anamorphic lenses, which are specialty tools which affect how images get projected onto the camera sensor. 
they were primarily created so that a wider range of aspect ratios could fit within a standard film frame. The production design and cinematography emphasized vivid primary colors, particularly red, creating a deliberately unrealistic and nightmarish setting. So Suspiria was released in Italy in February of 1977, while 20th Century Fox, who had acquired the American distribution rights, released the film in the U.S. in July of 1977. Of all of Argento's films, Suspiria was his highest earning film in the United States. Mm. The film received generally favorable reviews from moviegoers upon its release, with the consensus being that it's a very colorful giallo film and it's as beautiful as it is gory. And for those of you who don't know what giallo is, it's a 20th century Italian thriller or horror genre of literature and film. But many film critics at the time despised it, even though audiences loved it. Uh, A lot of them said that it made no sense. What? And we'll talk about why it might not make sense (laughs) in a minute. Either way, Suspiria has since inspired such horror directors as John Carpenter of Halloween fame and Takashi Shimizu of The Grudge fame. Hmm. With that said, Abby, could you please remind us all of the plot? Sure. A young American girl arrives at a prestigious dance academy in Germany, and upon her arrival is thrust into a world of mayhem and superstition. Susie Banyan acts as our final girl in the film, and using her intelligence, observation, and strong will, soon learns that things at the school are not what they seem. The night she arrives, a student is murdered by an unknown assailant, and strange things begin to happen to her and her peers at the academy. She doesn't really seem to make any friends with many of her classmates, and those that she gets close to end up dead. Susie finds herself in the middle of a coven of witches, including her dance instructor, Miss Tanner, and the headmistress of the school, Madame Blanc. It turns out they are guarding the secret of an old witch named Helena Marcos, who was the original founder of the Dance Academy and was presumed dead, but it turns out she'd sustained herself by killing young women and using their energy to survive. In the final act, Susie stabs Helena Marcos in the throat, thus ending the coven's reign of terror and murder. Ooh. Spooky. Witch. Witch. I love how this film, and we're not really going to be talking about the music, unfortunately, in this episode, because there's already so much that's been said about it. Right. Because everybody loves the music in this film. It's so good. It's so good. It is so good. And uh, I love how they, uh, Goblin, uh, the group (laughs) who wrote the music, the soundtrack, Mm -hmm. they tell you right away what's happening. I know. It says in the lyrics, it's actually the only lyric in the in the song. I heard it and I was like, what? Who said this? Oh, it's just the music. Okay. So, the Bechdel test. Yes, it passes with flying colors. Yeah, Flying primary colors. Wow. <laughs> Good one. Uh, it passes so often that I don't even think I need to mention when and where it passes because oh, yeah. there's so many females in this film like women in this film who are main characters and they very very rarely talk about men because Mm -hmm. there aren't any really in this film so nancy's dream team test was the supporting cast at least 50 percent women yes 
Did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? Yes, Daria Nicolodi co-wrote the film. Hmm. Was the final girl a person of color? No. Were there any openly LGBTQ characters in the film? No. Hmm. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the set design and the color palette. So commenting on the film's lush colors, Argento said, quote, We were trying to reproduce the color of Walt Disney's Snow White. It has been said that from the beginning that Technicolor lacked subdued shades and was without nuances, like cutout cartoons, unquote. That is normally like the first thing that people notice about this film Mm -hmm. is how colorful it is. Yeah. And it's colorful, but there's only certain colors that are used in it, though. Mm -hmm. I know it was very odd watching this. I was like. This You're, doesn't feel like a like a witchy movie because of it. It does and it doesn't. It's right. so different. It is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it hasn't really been done since, in my opinion. Not really, yeah. Like that type of film. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the colors were emphasized by the use of imbibshian. And I just learned about this. I had no idea this was a thing. And it's a type of technicolor print. So the process that they used for Suspiria was the same thing that they used for The Wizard of Oz and for Gone with the Wind. Oh, okay. Yes, I've heard of this before. It's um, It gives like a more vivid kind of color rendition and it enhances like the really weird unnatural qualities of yes. color. Yeah. So it makes it really nightmarish, right? Like we mentioned before. Of course this is what Argento wanted yeah <laughs> he wanted to make it look like a nightmare I guess yeah it was actually one of the final feature films to be processed in Technicolor wow and it was shot with the last remaining Technicolor three-stripped cameras in Europe at the time that's nuts yeah, he actually, I think, had a really hard time getting a hold of these, too, because a lot of them were, uh, the rest of them were in California. Oh, And there wow. was only a few of those left in Europe, and he had to really fight to get to them. Because That's it was, uh, it wasn't a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So, like, by 1977, when this film came out, uh, people were like, that's an old way to make movies. Mm-hmm. Like, again, like we said, Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, like, these were from forever ago. Yeah. So his producers were like, I don't know if you should do this. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been the same if he didn't. You said that the colors kind of reminded you of something. What was it? Um, It reminds me of a stained glass window, which is like, it's kind of ironic <laughs> in a way because it feels very churchy. It feels like it takes place in a church, like the whole academy and the school and stuff. Yeah. And it kind of feels like because of all the the women who are students there it kind of feels like a convent to me (laughs) yeah in a way it does so let's uh talk a little bit about argento's kind of obsession with voyeurism (laughs) and eyes in this film so the witch's strategy in this film is to blind people or if they're already blind to kind of like punish them because of their blindness Mm -hmm. almost you know Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of like eyeline matches for this film like a lot of like right at the eyeline for uh in this and um a lot of close-ups on people's eyes and Mm -hmm. 
I mean, there's like a lot of like blinding scenes even like where Susie is blinded by the silver uh, or whatever, the triangle yeah. that's uh, reflecting off of the chart or whatever. Yeah, you're talking well, that- about the scene with the custodian and her yes. son, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, yeah, the uh, Madame Blanc's nephew. And so there's lots of trying to blind people from seeing things. Yeah. You know, like that metaphorical blindness. And I thought that that was kind of interesting. And even the blind pianist, um, Daniel, even though he's already blind, the fact that he has sensed that something is happening, right? Yeah. Because I think that's, I mean, of course, his dog apparently bites the little boy. (laughs) But he screams out like, uh, you'll be sorry, like I'm blind, not deaf. Yeah. So I'm wondering if he heard, like, what was happening. Oh, yeah. And that was one of the reasons why they wanted to get rid of him. And when he threatened them by saying, I'm blind, not deaf, meaning, like, I know what's going on here. Right. Like, I've heard you guys talking about witch (laughs) stuff. Maybe he wanted to say something about, like, Argento, I mean, he wanted to say something about, like, the human intuition and the whole idea that, like, things aren't what they seem and that usually your your gut serves you pretty well and you don't always need to see that someone is watching you you can usually like feel it first which is kind of what the whole film looks like yeah because you don't know like what's around the corner basically so well david callet who wrote for tcm.com he said that it's sort of like a not like a who done it but like a look it yeah you know yeah like, that's true it's all figured out by your mind's eye maybe kind of you know like yeah because actually Susie like pulls things out of like the very depths of her mind I feel like when she's trying to figure out what's going on she has to think really hard to remember like the night that she arrived at the academy and I think the character's name is Pat the girl who is murdered she has to remember like what Pat said to her or like what she overheard as she was running away from the school. So you use a lot of your senses, I feel like, for this film. I mean, of course, like symbolically, right? Like we're watching these people get murdered. I mean, when Pat gets killed, right, she sees these eyes in her in the window. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, which is really one of the creepiest scenes. It's so creepy. And she's being killed by an unknown assailant. But you see these really weird hairy arms. Yeah. And... <laughs> But you don't ever see a face. It's all like POV sort of. Yeah. And we're there with her almost watching it happen like when her heart is exposed and he's stabbing her heart like it's crazy. Yeah. He's really into that because even like Bird with the Crystal Plumage is about a guy trying to remember a crime scene. Huh. That's so crazy. Yeah. And so like with Susie, it's trying to remember the secrets Iris and that's all she can kind of remember. Finally, at the end, though, when she's enlightened, she remembers turn the blue one. So let's talk about mirrors. Yeah. There's lots of mirrors in this film, too. Mm -hmm. Lots of reflective surfaces as well, not just mirrors. So most of the time in this film, Susie sort of discovers something while looking in a mirror. Yeah. I think that mirrors are symbolic of illumination and awareness and truth. You're absolutely right. And another sort of interesting thing is there's glass used a lot in the movie as well. But in a way, um, and I just thought of this as you were talking about mirrors, you can obviously like see through glass and it allows you to see what's happening. But 
mirrors are a little bit different. They force you to kind of be a little bit more intrinsic. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like all of <laughs> all of the reflective surfaces that are in this movie are just, I don't know. It's like you have a different medium and they all represent different things. So like you said, you have your mirrors, which reflect the self And then you have glass, which kind of you look through to see what's happening. Like Pat has to look through the window. voyeurism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the stuff like silver and everything that's used, which has a bunch of different symbolism and like properties and that kind of thing. So. Well, and silver is known, right, to kill evil. Yeah. But the other interesting thing, too, is like with the whole glass aspect that he uses it's used to distort kind of what the viewer is meant to see but it's also used as an obstacle for the victims which I thought was kind of an interesting concept and there's a lot of broken glass in this film I know in witchcraft it can symbolize like a lot of energy focused in one place oh I didn't know that yeah so once that energy is like out there the glass literally can't take it. It shatters, Whoa. which is what happens when Susie finds Helena Marcos and stuff, too. So it's kind of like a foreshadowing. Like, it's all building up to this one crazy moment. I mean, Pat is killed, but she's, like, pushed through the glass. Mm-hmm. It's like, see, like, this is what you get when you know too much. And yes. she literally is, she shatters through the glass, like, through her window. Like, she's pushed through the window, and then she's pushed through the skylight. Yes, the energy or the glass that's like breaking because she knows like what's happening is so symbolic in that sense. Yeah. Because she oh. dies because of it. Another thing that I just thought of, it's a glass ceiling and everyone knows her as like she she's too like wild and she's yes. too ambitious. So maybe that's like her punishment. But instead of going up, she comes down. Yes. Yeah, it's really Symbolism. interesting. Oh, that reminds me of freaking um, uh, Boondocks Saints. It's the symbology. symbology. What's the symbology the of symbology? this? symbology? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But what's really cool is that Thomas De Quincey, right, who wrote Lavana and Our Ladies of Sorrow, he said in that essay, quote, They wheeled in mazes. I spelled the steps. They telegraphed from afar. I read the signals. They conspired together. And on the mirrors of darkness, my eye traced the plots. Theirs were the symbols... Mine were the words, unquote. Ooh. So he even talks about getting the clues from these ladies of sorrow. It's sort of uh, reminiscent of what we just talked about. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like a poem that Susie would write. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about Susie. <laughs> yeah. Um. What do you think of her? Honestly, she is the perfect final girl yeah. because she's curious, but she's not wafy. Like, the only time that she really shows any weakness is because she is literally being drugged. Yes. So it's not like that's how she is naturally. Um, and she goes looking for danger, and she she isn't really sure what she's going to find, but she's like, mm, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. She just, like, throws herself into solving this mystery. I mean, I'm sure she wants to figure out what's going on at the Academy, but she's just like, yeah, I'm just going to figure this she's out. She's like, this isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> just flat out like you guys are all acting really weird. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that about her too. And out of all of the girls there, she doesn't take things at face value. Right. right? She sees things and she's like, that is weird. <laughs> I'm going to try to ask around. And she does. And she asks the different girls, like, what's going on here? Like, does nobody else think this is weird? You know? Yes. She trusts her instincts. Yeah. So um, she's actually also really interesting because she's based on Snow White. Wow. Because Suspiria is a fairy tale. Yeah. So this is a quote from Linda Schultz Sasse, I think is how you say her last name. Ooh. So she says, like Disney, Argento has no interest in realism whatsoever. Suspiria is self-consciously stylized, artificial, and as the first victim will remark in a kind of meta-commentary, so absurd, so fantastic. Like the standard fairy tale, Suspiria is a story of travel and movement between two kinds of spaces, one realistic and high-tech and modern, the other gothic, all located within a vague and dislocated, quote-unquote, Germany. Yeah. What's really interesting is that she is in a particular place. She's in Friedberg, Mm -hmm. but Friedberg doesn't have an airport. So the fact that it's such a normal looking film, like within the first like two minutes, right, where she's on the she gets off the plane, she walks through the airport. And every time we see the door, we hear the music, Mm -hmm. like the exit. Yeah. And then it switches back to her and the music stops. Yes. I mean, it's it's in your face. It's so obvious, but it's just so great still where it's like she's about to leave the real world Mm -hmm. and go into this fantasy land. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, I love it. And even when she's leaving the airport, we see a, a poster for the Black Forest. And the Black Forest, as you might know, is um, from like legends, right? In yes. German folklore. Yep. It's a real place. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like old monasteries that are in there. But from legends, they tell of like wicked women living in the Black Forest. Yes. And you have like witches and herb witches and cattle witches and all these these very powerful magical women who live in parts of the Black Forest and it's well known and there's even like a movie about it. Yes, it's called the Black Forest. It inspired a lot of uh, grim fairy tales. Also. Yes, absolutely. So it's pretty wild and people there are still like really superstitious about it. It's a big deal. So <laughs> it is a big deal. Yeah. And so there's a poster like right on the exit of the airport. And then, of course, she gets in the cab when they're driving towards the school and they're driving through like a forest. Yeah. Almost like that's like her. The If it is the Black Forest or metaphorically the Black Forest, mm-hmm. she's traveling from one reality, like Linda Schultz-Sesse said, to a new like dimension almost through the Black Forest. It's so cool. Good Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum. Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. (laughs) So guys, head on over to recesscoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. Co-writer Daria Nicolodi, she uh, was inspired by Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. Bluebeard, Pinocchio, and a lot of Edgar Allan Poe's stories. And she apparently is a practicing white witch. Whoa, that's so cool. So she was also inspired by her grandmother's tale of a piano conservatory that she believed to be cursed by black magic and run by a coven of evil witches. Whoa. So apparently her grandmother was there. I don't know what happened next, but she got super scared and she ran away. Whoa. Yes. So people have said that this tale is not quite accurate. Yeah. That's so wild, though. That's so cool. Yeah. So Argento himself is a huge believer in black magic and the (laughs) occult. And he said, quote, there's very little to joke about. It's something that exists, unquote. Wow. So yeah, this whole idea of like witches is a very fairy tale type mm-hmm. trope, right? Is to have witches as the villains and um, this sort of like gothic kind of spaces and like childhood fantasies of something like horrific is out there kind of thing. And well, like ballerinas, I feel like are very fairy tale-ish too. Anytime I think of ballerinas, all I can think of is like the Nutcracker, like enchanted sort of vibe. Yeah, absolutely. I feel it. Yeah. (laughs) Yo, yeah, totally. I mean, going back to Snow White, the heart being stabbed kind of reminds me of the box that the evil queen has. Yes. That has the heart and then the knife through the heart. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, bring back her heart in this, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yes. And that's so that kind of reminded me of that. I mean, the mirror in Snow White is a huge deal, Mm -hmm. right? And that is about truth, like showing the evil queen the truth. And that's what Susie basically uses to find out what's going on. Yes. Susie's even like poisoned, like Snow White is poisoned. (laughs) Yes. I mean, like a stranger in a strange land story, like Wizard of Oz, where like. Well, like Dorothy, Susie is swept up and she's taken to an eye-popping, colorful world, right? Yes. Where there is a wicked witch. <laughs> Even the story, like the, of the story of Suspiria, uh-huh. it functions like a fairy tale on a technical level as well. Yeah. So um, Vladimir Prop, 
has a, a proposed method to identifying and analyzing folktales. Mm-hmm. What you do is that you analyze the action that's taking place in the story and you kind of compare it and to see if it functions with a fairy, a normal fairy tale plot. And uh, Suspiria, for the most part, it does actually match, though, mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. And that's according to uh, Maitland McDonough. And she talks about it in her amazing book, Broken Mirrors, Broken Dreams. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Dario Argento fan, definitely check out that book. It's phenomenal. Nice. Uh, but like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, many critics hated the film because they felt like it made no sense. But like, that's the point. Yeah. I want to scream that from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. Like, does Little Red Riding Hood make sense? Or Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> Or Wizard of Oz. Yeah, like, it's not supposed to. It's fantastical. (laughs) Right. And I just, I just want to say, so YouTuber Lindsay Ellis has this great video about the new Beauty and the Beast remake. So many people were saying like, okay, well, this doesn't make sense in the cartoon Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. Well, why are the servants enchanted? Well, why does it suddenly go from winter to spring? Or why does suddenly this happen or that? And this live action remake sort of tries to justify why things happen. And so she talks about how how that ruins it almost yeah. because yeah. you're over explaining something that does not need an explanation. Right. It's open to everyone's interpretation, I think, too. When you over explain it too much, then you kind of you get a lot of narrow mindedness, I guess. But if you if you just leave it the way it is you let people kind of either make their own backstory or find the symbolism for themselves. Like, it's just too much. It's just like, have a good time. (laughs) Just relax, you jerks. (laughs) Seriously. Like, yeah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy all the colors. Like, that's just, (laughs) you know? Yes. Enjoy the very simple adventure that's happening in front of you. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't need to overanalyze or overexplain a fairy tale. That's not the point. I agree. Hmm. Well, there was another interesting thing, too, that kind of goes hand in hand with the fairy tale concept. And I I noticed it when I was watching the other day. But it kind of um, has that mother maiden crone trifecta that you find a lot in fairy tales and in like a lot of different pagan practices, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, and there's there's a lot of threes that come in this film. Okay. Like it obviously has a lot of symbolism and like witchcraft and stuff like that. But um, like if you wanted to take that concept and apply it, you would have like Miss Tanner and Madame Blanc kind of as a unit as like the mother symbol. Um, And then Susie would be the maiden. And then you would have Helena Marcos as the crone. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool too. I'm not really sure if there's like any numerology that went into the making of this film. But like I kind of always notice stuff like that too. Whenever there's witchcraft involved in like a fairy tale or something, it usually has something to do with numbers. Well, that's actually interesting because that bleeds into our final thought. Um, mm. What does it mean to be a witch in Suspiria? Mm. Maria T- 
Carter, who teaches a class on folklore at Harvard University, stated that old women villains are especially scary because historically the most powerful person in a child's life was the mother. And children have a way of splitting the mother figure into the evil mother, who's always making rules and regulations and policing your behavior and getting angry at you. (laughs) And then the benevolent nurturer, the one who is giving and protects you and makes sure that you survive. So if we want to look at it in that way, right? So like this relates back to the fairy tale aspect of Sarah, who is Susie's guide. I mean, she kind of portrays like the good side of the mother. And then, of course, she dies. So that goodness is gone. And then Susie is left with the evil witches who mm-hmm. also have a lot of information, but it's um, shrouded in evil and darkness, right? So it's kind of like the wicked stepmother. The, okay, so these witches sort of represent a stepmother because witches in general, I guess, if you want to look at the evil fairy tale part of it, not mm-hmm. the realistic part, they're, they are like stepmothers because they're takers of life rather than givers of life. Like a biological mother, I guess, mm-hmm. is sort of like a giver of life, right? Yep. Where the stepmother is symbolically the opposite of that. Right. But... Uh, I don't know how I feel about this because I look at this as a fairy tale. I don't take the witches being evil very seriously. Yeah. And I know a lot of people do. Even the the psychiatrists in this talk about how freaking magic, is it paranoia or is it magic? And it's like... Um, you know, their great goal is to gain great personal wealth and power and Mm -hmm. or like believing in magic is like a mental illness and stuff. And I was just like, but what's so great is that these characters are played by white men. Yeah, (laughs) I know. And I think that that's um, that's kind of symbolic in a way. Yeah. You know, I think that that was intentional. Yeah, honestly, I do. Well, because, you know, women are told, or I mean, we still are, but more prevalently in the past, we're told that their emotions were actually just hysteria and they needed to be cured. But the very essence of like paganism and magic and everything has to do with your inner feminism, basically, being a goddess. Yes. And it follows the moon, who is a goddess. So it's like. I don't know. It's of course they would want to kind of talk down about it and make it seem like it's less than what it actually is. And I think that's a really interesting um, tidbit that Argento like threw in there. So Argento. And I wonder if that was um, Daria. Probably. Especially if she is if she practices witchcraft. She's probably like can relate. (laughs) So. Yeah, and I wonder if that's that's a huge reason why these characters were male. And there's two of them, too, which is really weird. It's not just one guy telling her what's going on. Mm-hmm. They, they bring in two different men. Well, there's an older one and a younger one. So it kind right. of shows how it gets passed down through the generations, yeah. I guess, and how it's just perpetuated. Because, you know, you have your young psychiatrist and he was like, oh, you'll want to talk to this guy over here because he's a leading expert. And that's where I got all my information from. And it's like, OK. And but Susie questions it the whole entire time. Yeah, 
because she's like, what does it mean to be a witch? And he's like, it means that you're mentally ill. Yeah, and like, she's like, not right. Ow. ow. Well, of course, she's just like, this doesn't help me at all. Right. It actually doesn't do anything for the story. Do you believe that? The only thing that it really helps is like to identify who the actual witch is in the movie. Yeah. Because she didn't know anything about Helena Marcos. I mean, in that, that is probably the only thing, really. And it also helped to kind of like put a name to what she was feeling, which is the point of being a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it was an interesting scene. Well, I mean, she's she's in the real world again, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. Right. So this scene doesn't have all the colors and all the fantastical things happening. It's outside. It's at this school. Right. Or this, um, I don't know, like this convention place, whatever, because there's mm-hmm. a convention going on. Right. There's nothing magical about this scene at all. No. It's talk. It's all science. I don't know. I thought that that was pretty great. Like, it's just so doesn't seem like it fits this film. Mm-hmm. Because once she leaves the airport and she goes to the school, the whole film sort of has this really colorful, beautiful look. And then she goes and she meets these people and she's back in the boring world. Right. And I kind of think that's funny that they're talking about kind of boring stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, they try to give it an explanation and it doesn't work. Yeah. And then she goes back into this fantasy world, and then it's like everything that they said didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it's kind of cool, too, because it shows that everything is basically just a theory, I guess, yeah. whether it's a fairy tale or it's science. Like, it's all just kind of speculation. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, like, your human emotion kind of rules over everything, maybe. Your right. emotion and your intuition. Right, yeah. I mean, Argento has said that he doesn't believe in the devil and he laughs when he sees him in books and films and stuff. But like mm-hmm. some people have said that Argento's idea of witchcraft is very masculine, like how they're all Satan worshippers, sort of. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like I just think that this is a very fantastical version of witchcraft and it's not realistic, obviously. But like is I don't know, as like if you want to compare this again to fairy tales, is the witch in Snow White realistic? Like no, like she's not a realistic witch. Well, the cool thing about like witchcraft and stuff is that there are so many different practices and beliefs Mm -hmm. and it really it has to do with who you are individually people were upset that like he kind of connects women's desires for power to satanism oh yeah but what makes it like a satanist coven I, i guess like because they have like very satan type rituals like she says she must die 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 and then she eats like the little cracker and then she drinks from a goblet and then she's like she must die like and I think and they're all wearing like I guess black I don't know and I don't know if that is like again I think that it's sort of exaggerated like the people's complaints with the satanism thing well and I think that comes from maybe not understanding witchcraft or even Satanism, to that matter. Because that's right. the stigma that surrounds witchcraft, is that it's all bad and it's all evil, and they're, they all worship Satan, which is not true. In fact, witchcraft is a very secular practice. Right. You can be a Christian woman and, and 
be a witch. Right. Which is funny because like you said, she it's kind of like she's taking communion while she's like having this little meeting with <laughs> with the other witches. Right. It's like that's so strange. It's strange to me that people interpreted it as a satanic coven, I guess. I mean, we've said this over and over in this oh, episode yeah, yeah. that like this is not a very accurate you know, representation <laughs> of witchcraft. But to me, it's a fantastical version of powerful women who are also evil because women can be evil. It's OK. You know, yeah. just like men, women can also be evil. And um, if anything, it's um, I don't know. I think it's it's just a fairy tale version of witchcraft. The cool thing about this story, though, is that I feel like in the 70s, a lot of uh, films were focused on like kind of like Rosemary's Baby, where it kind of talks about God and religion and all that kind of stuff. This doesn't really talk about it at all. Like not at all. Religion is not the focus. No. Or like one of the main themes for the movie. Nothing like that. It just it's kind of there and it's just presented to you and it's really refreshing. It's a it's a different take on it, which I really It's a enjoyed. different take because it's actually a fairy tale. Yes. And I can't stress that yes. enough. It's an adventure. It's a it's a female adventure story. Mm-hmm. And we should look at it as such. Of course, we've we've looked at it in depth, which is really great. Mm-hmm. But I think if you try to analyze it in any way to make it seem like it's offensive, I think doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Wow. Well, <laughs> thank you all so much for joining us. Yes. For this episode of Good Morning Nancy. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our merch shop. We've got mugs, sweatshirts, and t-shirts. And go to goodmorningnancy.com slash merch and click the shirt icon and you will be taken to our shop. Yeah, and if you'd like some sweet extra content in your coffee, head on over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy. And for just a few bucks a month, you can receive some fun extra content like bloopers from our show, new movie and trailer reviews, and so much more. Don't forget to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app as well. It takes just a few minutes to rate and review our show, and it really helps us receive recognition and helps new listeners who are also interested in horror to find us. Follow us on social media, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Also, tell a friend. Spread the word. We love you all to death. Have a great morning. Bye.